This is Elijah Thomas, and you are listening to the By Faith Podcast, sharing the stories of Jesus followers around the world who are living their lives by faith. Chad, this is Elijah. Hi, Elijah. How are you? Doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. Awesome. Hey, well, thanks so much for wanting to talk to me for a few minutes. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Anything I anything I can do for you, I'm glad to do. Awesome. Great. And are you in uh, you're in Nampa, Idaho, correct? That's correct. Awesome. Uh, I'm just gonna ask a few questions, and you can sure. answer them yeah, however long and short. And um, so, uh, first, I want to start it out. Can you tell me a little bit about Missions Aviation Fellowship and, and what is the work that you guys do there? Sure. Um, Mission Aviation Fellowship uh, is a um, non-denominational uh, Christian mission organization that uses uh, aviation and uh, technology uh, to help spread the gospel uh, around the world. And so sh- shortly after uh, World War II, um, several uh, pilots saw the need and saw how aviation had been used during the war and realized, you know, God can use this, the same technology, this new technology, um, to further his kingdom. And so, uh, they started looking for ways to, to get together and to join and figuring out how they could start an organization to do just that. And so they started recruiting individuals with that same vision. And, um, it was first, uh, started in about 1945 and it was called the Christian, uh, Christian Airman's Missionary Fellowship. And um, after a while, the name was shortened to Mission Aviation Fellowship, um, but with the same the same goal, the same purpose. And so we originally started out in, in Mexico. Our first pilot was uh, uh, Betty Green. And in, in 1946, Betty Green uh, took a WACO biplane down to Mexico to support uh, Bible translators with Wycliffe Bible translators. And um, so that was our, our first operation, our first pilot. And then shortly after, in 1948, uh, Nate Saint... Uh, uh, went to Ecuador and started our, our program in Ecuador. And so his he's one of our most famous pilots because in mm-hmm. 1956, he, along with uh, four other missionaries, were were martyred by the Warani Indians um, there in Ecuador. And that's that's where we had the pleasure of serving for 15 years, that same area. So so you, Chad, you served in Ecuador for 15 years, is that what you said? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's correct. So we just, we just returned in, in 2016 uh, to, the, to the U.S., and then we've been out here in Nampa for the last um, six months, and I'm working in uh, mobilization, which is uh, basically recruiting and looking for uh, new pilots, and I'm also moving into the training department to do uh, uh, flight training for the new pilots that are coming into the organization. Wow. That's an amazing uh, story about it getting started. You said about in the 1940s. Were, were they vets? Like Yeah, most of them were veterans. Uh, Nate Saint was um, uh, an Army Air Corps uh, veteran. And uh, uh, Betty Green, I think, was uh, one of the uh, WASP uh, flyers who helped transport aircraft uh, during the war. And so both of them had their got their training in the military and then uh, started to fly. And so a lot of our um, initial pilots, our, our pioneers, were at were veterans. And Nate Saint was affiliated with Jim Elliott. He was in the same plane, correct? 
Yeah, that's correct. And so uh, what what happened is so uh, Nate was uh, our pilot in in Ecuador, and there were four other missionaries that were serving uh, in the same area, not in the exact same town. Okay. But Nate right. was the Nate was the connection between all of them wow. because some, they were with a couple different organizations and they were working with in different areas out in the eastern jungles of Ecuador. And so Nate supplied them, flew them into their their areas where they were working, and, and did all of that, which is kind of the same thing we still do today. But they, as a group, decided that they wanted to reach out into the the Warani territory, which at that time they called the Alka, which meant which basically meant savage in in the lo- local uh, Quechua dialect. And so um, they all stationed then out of Shell, and Nate flew them in. It was a very small plane at that time. It was a uh, um, a Piper family cruiser. So we, maximum would be three people, but typically it'd be two people in the airplane. And mm-hmm. so they actually had to shuttle people in, uh, shuttle the guys into the beach where they had landed on a on a, a sandbar. The river was down. They were able to land on the sandbar, and they built a little um, built a little treehouse there for protection and uh, to to make contact with with the the tribe. They had been using. You probably. Are a little familiar with the story. I'm not sure, but they had been using a bucket that they could lower from the airplane on a rope to exchange gifts with several different um, groups of Warani that they had come in contact with from the air, just to establish themselves uh, themselves as friends. And so, yeah, so it was the same the same group with with wow. Jim Elliott and wow. uh, yeah. That's such an awesome story. Um, can you can you tell me about what? You know, what is going on with the church in Ecuador and the mission there right now and since you sure. left? Sure. Ecuador is a, is a really neat story. Uh, because it's one of our uh, oldest programs, um, it was a very, uh, I don't mean to say popular place to be, but we got a lot mm-hmm. of visitors because because of the mission history there. There were lots of people that wanted to come and wanted to see what was, was happening, in, happening in Ecuador. Um, missions, uh, missionaries have been in Ecuador actually for over 100 years. And um, some of the very earliest missionaries um, came into Ecuador. And so the church has been uh, established there for quite some time. But in the jungle in the eastern part of the country, is a very, it's a very slow process uh, because of the different indigenous groups, the, the, uh, the language barriers, uh, cultural things, uh, lots of reasons. But um, it's taken a long time for the church to really um, mature. And so in the last about 20 years, 15 or 20 years, one of our goals in Ecuador has been to to nationalize our our flight operations there turn our program over to to the national church but one of the things we needed to see was a maturity in the church and a maturity in in the leadership that they would be able to to take it over and we wouldn't turn something over to them that wouldn't wouldn't be able to continue and so um that has been like i said last 15 or 20 years but there's been ebbs and flows of how well we were doing and so we've We've trained some some national pilots that are not staying with us. We've had, you know, um, difficulties along the way with the, the government and trying to to get permits and visas and, and licenses and all of those things. But um, the neat thing is that about six years ago we were able to officially turn over our operations to the Ecuadorian Church. Um, they began to mm-hmm. be in charge of all of the day-to-day operations. Uh, we have a national board and a, a national director. And we continued, a couple uh, families continued to stay in Ecuador, my family included, um, partly because in our case, our daughter was born in Ecuador, and so we had an easier way of being able to stay there and continue to work as a, as a pilot. But we were there to help just support them and to get them going while they were uh, recruiting, training um, uh, the pilots that they needed, mechanics that they needed. 
and uh, really uh, equip them to, to take over uh, the operations. And so in 2016, um, my family, we were ready for our normal furlough. MES families typically spend about three and a half years overseas and then six months back in the U.S. on furlough to, to visit friends and family and to raise the, the support that we need to be able to, mm-hmm. to do this kind of ministry. And so we were getting ready for our normal time of furlough, and we began to realize that it was probably time after 15 years for us um, to make a move, uh, make a change out of Ecuador because of the nationalization process. Uh, because I had been the chief of operations and the chief pilot for many years, um, I started to, to realize that uh, my Ecuadorian coworkers were were probably not going to be willing to step up into that role while I continued to be there. So uh, we de- we decided as a family that, um, and with MAF, that it was probably time for us to transition uh, out of Ecuador. And that was a really difficult decision. That was the only home that our, our kids had really ever known. Our daughter was born, born there. Our son was a, a year old when we arrived in Ecuador. And so, um, yeah, very difficult transition. But, um, you know, one of the things that we want to do is to maximize um, our resources. And as we are able to, to um, build that capacity in the national church, uh, we don't want to continue to, to be somewhere and to use our resources when we could be using them uh, somewhere else. And so mm-hmm. it was a joy for us to be able to see the church um, grow and mature and be able to take over um, that ministry. And so we still have um, two families, MAF-US families in Ecuador. One is a brand-new family, a specialist. They just arrived um, in December, and uh, they're there just to help work alongside them, help them maintain the same um, uh, safety and, uh, you know, uh, safe practices for maintenance, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and, and keep them on track. And then we also have um, uh, one other uh, pilot mechanic who's actually there finishing up. They'll be leaving in uh, June or July of this year. They've been there mm-hmm. about 12 years and are getting ready for the same reasons to transition out uh, mm-hmm. of the program. That's that's a, sounds like it was a humbling process, but totally a you know, an, an awesome thing to let that church just kind of rise up and take care of and be leading themselves. It's really powerful. Yeah, it, it is a it's a complicated issue. You know, you can you can look at it along uh, ethnic you know lines or racial lines or cultural lines, and it can be very complicated. But in the end, um, the truth of the matter is that as believers, we're all working towards the same goal, and um, for us as as uh, MAF folks from the U.S. and used to doing things a certain way and program looking a certain way, you know, it, it did it mm-hmm. did mean that we needed to let go of some of those things and realize that mm-hmm. as the national church takes over, they will make decisions and changes that might not be exactly what we would do. That's not a bad thing, though. They they have also the the ability to see things in their culture that we probably have missed for these last 60 years that we've been in Ecuador and that they can, mm-hmm. they can use uh, their insight of their own culture, their own, their own people um, to help, you know, serve them even more effectively. So that's our prayer. Mm. Wow. Um, what, can you tell me about uh, what was a typical day for you as a pilot in Ecuador? Sure. Um, Ecuador is um, the area where we flew was uh, receives about 20 feet of rain a year. Wow. And so that's, pretty hard to, you know, to really comprehend unless you're from Hawaii or someplace, <laughs> right. you know, so that's inches of rain a day. And so yeah. that was one of the, 
the, the very thir- first things that as a pilot you dealt with was mm. <laughs> what was the weather going to be like in the morning when, when you woke up. And so um, the jungle also has has a lot of fog in the morning. And so in some ways that was kind of a nice thing because we would typically not take off until about uh, 8 or 8.30 uh, for our first flights of the day. We have programs in Indonesia, for instance, where they're taking off at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning because of, of wind in the afternoon and how that affects their ability to fly in the mountains. But but for us, because of the, the weather, we waited to get weather reports over our radio. We have an HF um, radio system throughout the jungle where the, the different communities can call in with emergencies, news, weather reports, all those things. And so they do that at 7 o'clock and then at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So we would get the 7 o'clock uh, report in on the radio, and we'd find out what the weather looked like, and uh, we would have our, our schedule for the day. And so once we figured out that the weather was good enough to, to get uh, to go where we were uh, planning to go, then we would usually launch at about um, usually about 8.30. We would have a prayer time at right at 8, mm-hmm. have our airplanes, uh, the pre-flight done uh, about 7.30. 8 o'clock we would pray um, mm-hmm. as a group, and then we would take off usually at about 8.30 uh, to 9, depending on our loads and our passengers. And so typically we would fly out to a, uh, an area in the jungle. We, we served about five different language groups, uh, people groups there, and um, so we would fly out into one area and do three or four landings in that area, um, either dropping things, you know, dropping people or things off and picking uh, others up to come back to Shell then. Mm. Um, and the flights out from Shell to the jungle were usually from 30 minutes to an hour out to the areas where we where we serve. Anything more than an hour and we would be uh, into Peru. And so we didn't do oh. any international flying. And mm-hmm. so about an hour, hour and 10 minutes and you were at the Peruvian border. And so we would um, we would hit several different uh, communities, like I said, dropping off anything from building materials, supplies, missionaries, um, uh, you know, work teams, uh, well drilling teams, there'd be our clean water project teams to medical teams, um, you name it, we drop them off and then usually combine it with something else, something else that was coming out of the jungle to, to maximize the efficiency of the airplane. We come back to shell, usually get back from your first flight at, at 10 or 10 30 mm-hmm. um and then turn around and go do the same thing again wow. um and uh go back out and usually come back you know 12 30 one o'clock um lunchtime usually usually we would be able to pause for lunch or they would have lunch waiting for us at the hangar between mm-hmm. flights you know we'd get back and eat and then go back out again in the afternoon so typically we would do two to three flights a day usually two flights in the morning one flight in the afternoon would be very common on busy days, you could fly as many as five or six uh, flights, and that could be anywhere from from 15 to, to 20 uh, landings on a real busy day. Typically, we would do probably 10 to 12 landings and, and three flights. Mm, wow. Per plane, per plane, per pilot. Wow. Are there any uh, particular flights or stories from your time that really stand out to you? Um, sure. I mean, if I if I like I said, 15 years is, is a long time. <laughs> I can think back and, yeah. and remember, you know, quite a few um, right. flights, both from personally they were important to me, sometimes it's emotionally important to me. So, you know, depends on what, uh, uh, you know, my almost emotional state when I think back about my flying because there's some flights mm. that just really mm-hmm. stand out from, you know, a significant point as far as, um, you know, the missionary standpoint because, um, you know, traditionally when people think about missionary flying, they think of us. Uh, flying missionaries, uh, pastors, Bible translators, and, and those kinds of things. And that is a, a, a good percentage of what we do. 
but we also do a lot of community service, a lot of medical mm-hmm. flying, a lot of those other mm-hmm. kinds of flights. And, and so there's some that stand out probably from, from every category. Um, probably one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, memories from really the, the missionary side of things would be a very traditional flight where we had the privilege over about a 20-year span of flying for um, uh, a Bible translation project for the for the Shuar um, mm. language group, and so we worked with uh, Wycliffe Bible translators and um, uh, other translators that were working on the translation for, like I said, o- over 20 years, and then. For myself, about the last, my first 10 years or so of flying, um, once at least once a month, we would travel into the communities and, and, and bring out uh, two or three of the language, transi- uh, language translation assistants from the different communities. They would come back to the mission station where the missionaries live so they could all work for that week on the Bible translation, and they would go back to their communities, work on it during the month, and we'd bring them back. And so we did that, you know, yeah. You know, continually, we were always flying those flights. And so that was a, a, a really neat mm-hmm. thing that we got to be a part of. The neat thing for me is I happened to be there when the Bible translation was completed. Oh, and so awesome. uh, I had the privilege of, of flying in the very first copies of the Schwar translation. And so um, I had the privilege of flying uh, missionaries that had worked on that translation for many years into several different uh, uh, jungle communities, Schwar communities, to actually have... Um, you know, a, a a celebration where the, the 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 translations were presented in those communities, and then we were able to fly in a, a large group of, of our own people from from MAF um, and our hangar helpers as well, all of our Ecuadorian staff. And we were able to fly into the larger station where they had done the majority of the work for a huge dedication of the of the Schwar um, Schwar translation with the Schwar church leaders and with the, the community and. And so that was one of those highlight wow. things where, you know, my coworkers for, you know, years before I even arrived in, in the country had, had labored and been involved in that. But I was able to, to kind of be there to, to reap some of those rewards and get to see wow. um, God's word, you know, presented to, to the people um, in their own language for the first time. So that was that was definitely a highlight from the, the missionary side of, of what we do, um, you know, the, mm-hmm. the traditional mission flying. Wow, that is so powerful. I can't even imagine the excitement for presenting the word to people who ha- who haven't had it before. Yeah, yeah that was a, it was an amazing experience. I had some uh, wonderful pictures from that day that I you know I cherish that I'm on my wall in my in my office to just just remember that day and to remember uh, what God did through so many people because it was a project that involved uh, so many people over so many years and to see it come to fruition was was definitely a blessing. Wow, man. Chad, I'm so encouraged. That's so awesome. Um, well, uh, we're kind of running out of time, but I, I was going to ask, you know, how can um, how can any listeners um, who, who hear this be praying for you and your family as well as the church in Ecuador? That's a that's a great question. You know, we've we've spent um, the last year and a half after we've come home from Ecuador and the, the real a, a huge transition for for our family, um, both from uh, you know me as a uh, my. My wife and I, our status as, you know, foreign missionaries living in Ecuador and, and flying every day. And that's, you know, what we had uh, dreamed of doing and prepared to do for many years. And so now we've come home and our, our kids are no longer, you know, at a, a missionary school and in a, a foreign country. And, and and so we've come home and had to adjust to living in our, our own culture again. And so that, that has been an adjustment for us. And, 
we've had a lot of good counsel from other MAF people who have done it in the past, and and so we just would ask for prayer for for us as we make this transition. Um, we you know we don't want to assimilate back into our culture and get lost in in some of the the things that that we as believers know are our pitfalls in, in our own culture, the busyness and and uh, just you know the things in our culture that sometimes keep us from really living out. Uh, true Christianity, and so we struggle now just trying to find that that fine line. Uh, before you, know, we were working every day and in, uh, directly involved in in ministry and seeing uh, God work in so many different ways. And, and here at headquarters, my wife and I both work here at headquarters, and so we're still actively involved every day. Mm. But it obviously is a very different feel because um, we're not uh, we're working in an office setting and okay. as a, as support staff, and so. Um, I'm encouraged every day. You know, my job right now as a, a mobilizer is to go out and, and uh, to talk to new indiv- individuals that are looking at MAF and to help them maybe see where God is, is directing and, and leading them into, in the future and help them make decisions on training and where to go to school, those kinds of things. And so I would just ask that you pray for our family as we make this adjustment that we would be sensitive to what God is doing in our lives now, not to dwell on the past and, and to to, to keep grieving, you know, what we left behind, because in some ways we still are going through that, mm-hmm. but to be excited about what he has for us in the future and what our organization is doing worldwide. All those years we spent in Ecuador, we were, we were really, you know, focused on one country, one group, one, mm-hmm. you know, one, one area. And now as we're here at headquarters, we get to see again and be reminded of MAF's worldwide impact and uh, we can be a part of that. So that's exciting. And to get to bring, uh, see the, the excitement of new people coming into the organization and their desire uh, to use their their skills and their lives mm-hmm. to serve the Lord is, is an exciting thing. And so mm-hmm. uh, we just want to focus on that part and, and to see how God is is working uh, through MAF around the world and and get excited about that. So that's that's kind of the areas I think you could you could pray mm-hmm. for us. Thank you for listening to the By Faith Podcast. If you'd like to know more about By Faith, visit ByFaithPodcast.com, where you can also find By Faith on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to know more about Chad Irwin, his family's ministry, or Mission Aviation Fellowship, the links are in the description.